This is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology, innovation in the legal industry, and the impact tech is having on the law. I'm Chad Main, the founder of legal services company Percipient. And on today's show, I'm in conversation with Vivek Rao. He's the founder of Foundation AI. That's software used by law firms and insurance companies, which uses a combination of AI, optical character recognition, and computer vision to categorize, classify, and filing incoming documents. My guest today, Vivek Rao, is an L.A. guy. He even went to law school at UCLA. Initially, he thought he was going to get into entertainment because, you know, that's what a lot of people in L.A. do. But he quickly figured out that was not for him. So he landed a job at Big Law, but then the recession hit and the job never materialized. So in a tough economic climate and not many jobs out there, he and a buddy threw up their shingle and started a law practice that focused in business and real estate. However, in addition to his own practice, Vivek started working for a workers' compensation defense firm for a few years. While he was there, despite the firm's best efforts to go fully electronic, they had a hard time because workers' comp, like many other areas of the law, deal with tidal waves of documents from all angles, court documents, email, medical records, and even real mail mail. Outside of the workers' comp work, he happened to be representing a medical industry startup that was using technology and AI to analyze images and other data. That company got scooped up in an acquisition, but all this got Vivek thinking. Why couldn't law firms and insurance companies use similar technology to collect, categorize, sort, and file documents from all the various sources from which they were arriving? And that was the genesis of Foundation AI. So he grabbed some of the founders from the medical startup and decided to tackle legal and insurance. The software they created is used by law firms and insurance companies and utilizes a combination of artificial intelligence, computer vision, and optical character recognition, aka OCR, and it classifies and files incoming documents and data from various sources and then classifies them by type, time sensitivity, and matter. Oh, and yeah, and the good thing about Foundation AI, even when he decided to start the company, he never had to leave L.A. The story here is I started, I went to UCLA for law school. Originally, I went to, you know, if you asked me what I thought I was going to be doing at this age, I thought I'd be a movie producer. I went to, to SC undergrad. Were you in the film school at SC? Cinema. I minored. I majored in business and minored in cinema. Wow. And I grew up in Southern California. And I, you know, I liked the idea. I took some legal writing classes in undergrad and I, and I loved it. And it was a class I did the best in. So I figured I would go to law school and I'd end up doing, you know, entertainment law. And I think at the time, if you remember... I went to college during, you know, 2000 to 2004. So tech exploded. I watched my family, you know, my dad was like playing on E-Trade, <laughs> like lost all his money, you know? So tech was the furthest thing from my mind at the time. And then going to law school, I got an UCLA. I went to UCLA and I assumed I was going to get into doing some entertainment law type stuff. Uh, my first summer, I summered at an entertainment law firm and I realized, you know, hopefully not a lot of entertainment people are listening to this, that, you know, I'll just be a fan. I hate, I hated the people. Uh, <laughs> the entertainment industry is terrible. And so I realized that wasn't going to work and, and I didn't think I was going to be a movie producer anymore. And at the time, you know, I was really interested in real estate. I took a lot of uh, classes at the business school in real estate and, you know, this is pre-collapse. So I ended up summering at a NAM law firm and I, I got an offer and I, I planned everything about my life was to start in the real estate and finance group of, a, of an unnamed NAM law. And, you know, this is 2009. So once Latham did it, everyone started doing it and all of them started deferring their summer associates. And I got deferred for a while and I got paid to, to hang out. And then eventually I got, you know, I got severance. I never actually started. I volunteered at the time. So I was still in LA and I had some money and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought my life was <laughs> over at the time. You're this, regardless of what you thought you wanted to do, you go to law school and you think, oh, you know, the ammo has come knocking right. and you get recruiting and you get in that cycle. 
I had another good friend of mine who also UCLA law and, and similar story and, you know, severance that never got his offer, actually you know, got his offer at the end of it uh, for real estate groups. So we started originally working with startups. Like we just kind of hung a shingle and we were doing a bit of legal, a bit of business consulting and randomly we fell into representing web stars. So this is 2010 when YouTube first became a thing. Go figure. I ended up kind of an entertainment, yeah. just tangentially yeah. related. And we worked with a bunch of startups that were in the digital media space and we were doing a lot of transactional work for them. And a lot of it was business negotiation, things like that. And that was my first taste of kind of entrepreneurship. At the time I started working with um, family, friends who had a M&A deals in healthcare and I worked on. So, so did a bunch of generalist stuff and I needed a day job to pay the bills. We weren't exactly great at running a law firm. I didn't know, you know what our plan was. So I did get a job then doing work comp defense. And that was how this all came about. I was sort of in my work comp job, I was very transparent that I can do a lot of the civil writ writing. I'd clerked before and things like that. And I can also, and I actually was running what's called their lean unit. So I, I ran a department of a bunch of non-lawyers actually. What is it specifically, the lean unit? What does that mean? So in workers' compensation cases, all the treatment gets done through the workers' compensation system on these, a lot of times on these denied claims on a lean basis. So, you know, the legal fiction is, is that it's kind of like an IOU from the applicant. And then once they get their settlement, they pay you back for the treatment you gave them, right? The reality is that every single case settles by way of compromise and release. And then in the compromise and release, the insurance company takes on the responsibility to adjust, pay, or litigate the medical provider liens. And in the system, the medical providers who treat it on a case, they stand in the shoes of the applicant. So they then have this whole trial process, essentially. It's like a legal system within the administrative system of proving not just that the injury itself was a compensable injury, but that their treatment was reasonably necessary to cure and relieve. And in California, work comp is just hugely paper intensive, document intensive, and especially when you're on the lean side, because you're just getting, we ran a large lean unit that often would be substituted in to actually take care of cases after other law firms even settled them to take care of the liens. So we would get just these massive dumps of the entire file in one large PDF. We'd get, you know, just like any work comp firm, you'd get, as they refer the case to you or any insurance defense firm, you'd often get the whole claim file in one massive dump. And that's how you receive the document. You, have, you know, either you or clerks or anyone would have to sort through all that to prepare it to review and that kind of thing. And then the other side, I guess, the throughput, and I'll, I'll connect the dots here, is in work comp defense, our firm had gone paperless pretty early. We were on Thomson Reuters Pro Law product. And so, we had gone to a digital practice management system and because it's so paper intensive, we decided to go paperless pretty early. Uh, and I think a lot of work comp firms were, were pretty early with this because it was very efficient and in work comp, you're always running the boards and it was hard to get people to sit in the office all the time. So I'm seeing this and the process of going paperless in theory works really well, but when you're a very high volume law firm that has tons of paper, we're talking hundreds of thousands of pages of stuff coming in through all these different channels, through the fax machine, through the scan mail, through email boxes, all of it has to get into the practice management system and into the right folder. And, you know, the, the alert, the responsible timekeeper that they received this document and all that. And so the way in which this was done is a pretty, most places still is a pretty analog process. You've got someone who is looking at every single document that comes in. They're querying the system to figure out what matter is and, and in the insurance defense work comp. At one point, I had like six matters that were all the same name. It was like Juan Ramirez versus Costco. And I had six of them at one time that I was handling. And they were all different Juan Ramirez, though. Correct. 
And so you have this problem where you have clerks who first have to just figure out what matter. And you're looking at, you know, depending on the document, it might be a medical record that it never has your internal matter right. ID, right? It has maybe a name and date of birth. Maybe it's from the carrier and has a claim number. Maybe it's from the court and it has the, you know, the case number. And so they're first querying the system to figure out what matter it actually belongs to. And then we had, you know, and I've seen all sorts of it, but our workflow was the clerks were responsible for determining what type of document this is. We had, you know, 12 categories, you know, correspondence, discovery, pleading, and work are some specific categories like utilization review and some more important than others. So they were tasked with figuring out what folder it's supposed to go into. So what year was this that you actually moved over to digital? We started, I think, in 12, and I think we went full paperless by 13 or 14. Was this a home-baked internal program you were using, or was this a, a document management system that you licensed? So it was ProLaw. And so ProLaw, the way it's set up is it's got an internal document management system associated. Some firms integrate it with, you know, I manage NetDocs, but a lot of firms still that are on ProLaw are using its internal DMS. And so, you know, the, you have the DMS and the folders are linked to the matters and then all the matter detail is stored in the ProLaw system as well. So each document has to be associated to a folder for the matter and to a subfolder based on the type of document. And in our case, because in fields like work comp and things like that, you know, the rates are pretty low. There isn't in a lot of insurance events, there isn't a ton of paralegals right. and things like that in between document coming in and going to attorney. So the workflow for most of the firms we dealt with and that we've seen since then as customers and ours was from clerk, it goes straight to the attorney, the document. And so the clerks were responsible for naming it according to some naming convention, making sure it's categorized properly, putting it in the right folder, and then following these workflows. Like if it's a pleading, a t certain types of pleadings are urgent, so email the handling attorney directly. Certain types of documents, email a case manager or something like that. So even if this was done perfectly well and correctly, with the volume coming in and how manual this process was, it could take days from when a document actually enters the mailroom or enters the email box, you know, the centralized email box to when it actually gets to the handling attorney. And oftentimes, no one likes to admit it, but we've seen a, a ton of places, it's done incorrectly. It's put right. in the wrong, the wrong matter, the wrong subfolder. They forgot to follow some workload, didn't get put on calendar, like all sorts of things that I saw. At the same time, I was still working with startups. And so the other side of this, I think, is I was simultaneously serving as, as basically general counsel for a healthcare AI company that was founded by some of my co-founders of this company. And this was through your law firm? Or you were internal? You were a GC internal to the company? When I was working in work comp, I was still working with startups and it was all above board. Like my firm knew about that. And that, so work comp was the kind of job I could kind of do both. And so I was simultaneously in working with startups, mainly as, as GC for a smaller startup. It's not necessarily a full-time gig so it's called fractional and work comp defense and that's how these two worlds intersected and how i ended up where i am now is seeing if the ai company this healthcare AI company called enlitix what ai could do what was the ai doing in the healthcare realm what was it doing specifically because i see foundation your current company that was the genesis but what is the tech at the healthcare company what's it doing so at that company it essentially was a healthcare provider analytics platform. So their whole thesis was they were tying together a bunch of unified data streams. So healthcare, the way it worked, and you know, people bought a bunch of piecemeal systems, much like a lot of the larger law firms. So they might have 
this company's EHR, this company's lab system, this company's ERP system. And so what Enlitex did was tied all that together into one unified data model in like a non-production database so they could run analytics and AI off. And like a lot of companies at the time, they did a number of use cases and, and trying to find product market fit. So they did a lot of work around intelligent document processing, which is the first time I saw that. So around, for example, and published a number of data science papers around looking at uh, medical documents, so clinical free text and being able to derive the ICD-10 codes from the free text and being able to interpret written text and, and basically divide insights from it was the part of it that was critical. I mean, they could do computer vision stuff as well, like looking at you know, fundoscopic images of eyes to detect diabetic retinopathy, oh, wow. looking at chest x-rays to, to detect tuberculosis. And they were publishing all these papers on it. And most of the client base was overseas. So they were able to get things into production really fast, you know, with, like in India and places like that. And so I'm seeing this sort of AI and, and the kind of stuff they're doing. And meanwhile, my day job, both at the law firm, but also our carrier clients, just was these most manual processes around documents. And it was sort of like, why is AI not solved any of these problems? Yet? Like why it's 2000 at the time. And now we're the fast forward 2018 when we sold our lighting soft. And it got bought by a larger healthcare company in, in India. And it was like, well, looking at where we sit today with what AI can do, I mean, time like self-driving cars were becoming a thing. Like it could do these this work. We had built systems, us a startup that, you know, took very smart people four years of medical school to learn how to right. do, to read X-rays images. Yet we had in our firm, a hundred attorney firm, right? 20 people sitting in the mailroom doing this work of getting documents to the right place. And it was still very slow, cumbersome, and error-prone. And so the idea there was first explore why it hadn't been done and what the problems were with why kind of intelligent, like OCR hadn't come in and solved these problems and, and whether it could be done. And, you know, I can get to that if you're interested. And then we ultimately decided, well, let's take a look at this and solve this. When we come back in just a minute, Vivek tells us about how his work as counsel for a medical industry startup got him thinking about founding his own company. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal. This podcast is brought to you by Percipient, a legal services company powered by technology. Percipient helps legal teams tackle legal operations, electronic document review, and process automation. Percipient services include managed document review, subpoena compliance, cyber incident response, and also helps legal teams provide clients with process-driven legal support. To learn more, visit percipient.co. Recipient, legal services powered by technology. We'll get back to my conversation with Vivek Rao in just a second. But before I do, I want to direct you to tlpodcast.com where there's an episode page for this episode and every other episode out there. On those pages, you can find more information about our guests and links to a lot of the stuff we talk about. If you want to get a hold of me with any episode ideas or any questions or complaints, you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Or you can catch me on LinkedIn and Twitter. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Vivek Rao. At what point does you start, the wheels start turning and you start connecting all these the processing, the, the documents in, in your workers' comp gig and you're thinking about using the, the, the technology that the healthcare startup was, was using and connect it. When do you start putting these two together in your mind? I think I'd say it all coalesced around 2000 and. Late 2017, after we, we sold the other company. It was after the exit. Correct, yeah. And at that point, you know, I'm looking at the world with fresh eyes, now knowing what, you know, data science and AI can do. And the other thing that was happening that was really critical here is cloud. Right. 
you know, the healthcare company, we never got much traction in the US because it was all cloud-based and you need cloud to run these AI models. And that's really the big, the big factor here. I think the reason that none of this happened previously, whether my company or any company is, while everyone was still dead set on maintaining everything in their own infrastructure and scared of the cloud, the cost associated with running these AI models, the server compute ability for a law firm or someone to be able to run the kinds of models that we now have to use to solve these problems was untenable. So people have been sold this bill of goods previously to try to use OCR right. to solve these problems and these like zonal extraction that are looking at like, you know, and if something is always in the same position, then maybe it'll work a bit and things like that. And those things, they never were good enough to meet the business requirements. So everyone tried them, got burnt on them and, and moved back to doing it manual. And that's what we discovered why even in large enterprises and large law firms, why all this was still done manually. And seeing what cloud could do and what once people were ready to leverage cloud technology to be able to run real actual natural language processing models on top of OCR, right? And combine the two to be able to drive by, which is what we did on healthcare documents. If people were willing to embrace cloud and let and leverage cloud technology to run real natural language processing models on top of OCR, then the problems we faced in the legal, which are a bunch of unstructured documents, they don't follow any formats, everything looks different. You know, you need to read them to be able to understand what they are. We realized that we could start solving those problems using this technology, but it required cloud. So around 18 is when we figured people were starting to embrace, especially in fields like, like workers' compensation, like in some of the, let's call them the small to mid-sized law firms that were not beholden to new large legacy infrastructure, the ones that were kind of first going digital then and were buying software like Clio and like right. a lot of these cloud-based softwares, that was a market that would be receptive, we thought, to leveraging cloud to drive a ton of the operational value using AI. And that's where we started. You took this idea to your founding team. Well, after they exited that company, we ended up, you know, iterating around on it for a while. And then we, we decided to launch a new company. And originally, in all fairness, it wasn't strictly focused on legal tech. It was the idea that intelligent OCR, combining OCR with natural language processing, could solve a lot of problems around unstructured documents that hadn't really been solved. And other people were looking at, at intelligent, intelligent OCR, intelligent document processing. Most of what I saw and what we saw were people doing it in spaces like banking and, and areas like that. And, and to me... That wasn't nearly as interesting, one, because I, you know, had been a lawyer, I guess, but also because those areas to me rely on quantitative information to make decisions. And in a matter of time, there will be, there won't be paper anymore for banking transactions. There won't be, right. so processing invoices, that's going to go away. In areas like the law and like insurance claims that we deal with as well, like these are areas where decision making is, is and will always be based on qualitative information that has to be derived from documents. I mean, there's no way around it. And so you're always going to have unstructured content coming in that someone, whether it's people with the help of AI or whether people without it, have to look at and interpret to determine what to do with it. And so the way we thought about it is, and we still don't think too much around, you know, a lot of people now are talking about automating lawyer work and we didn't look at it that way. We thought about all of this clerical administrative overhead that is bottlenecking lawyers being able to actually get the documents and do the work. And, and the problem that I just saw, we saw time and time again, whether it was my firm or, or all these other high volume kind of firms was 
as they were moving digital and when COVID hit, that's when it really became big because everyone had to go digital. But the analog process of dealing with inbound documents, when you've now gone to a digital practice management system, to a hybrid environment where attorneys are no, it's not so simple as, you know, someone sorts it by matter and goes, drops it on the secretary's desk and she hands it to the attorney and they figure all that went away when people were working remotely and have to access their folders and files on there digitally. And so we saw all sorts of workflows for how people were doing, whether it was sorting by matter and just emailing the document straight to the attorney and the attorney having to figure out what it was, name it and put it in the place. We saw problems with getting them in the right place that we saw lots of problems with firms just maintaining the organizational structure of their documents because attorneys and tourists like they're right. busy. They're not, it's not billboard. They're not going to organize it properly, name it to some naming convention themselves and put it. And in these fields that we deal with, it's not quite like large complex litigation that some of us might be used to where people are, you know, a, a case team is handling case. It's, it's, individual attorneys handling hundreds of files at a time. Oftentimes they're being passed to different people to attend hearings and to appear on and things like that. And so having consistency of organization across all the files within a law firm is very important and very difficult. And so all these problems we figured we could solve using technology. So you landed on legal, you create foundation AI, you develop the app. Give me the elevator pitch. If someone asks you what it does or how it can help them, what do you tell them? So for our legal clients, we essentially unify all the documents that come into a firm by any channel. We match them to the appropriate matter automatically, you know, by looking at metadata on the document and comparing it into the integration with their practice management system, classify it to the right folder that they would put it into based on their organizational structure. And then depending on that classification and, you know, matter, we can trigger a bunch of different workloads. And the simplest is naming it the way they'd want to name it and putting it in the right folder. And that could be, if you think about it, if it's a correspondence, it might be extract out the sender, extract out the date of the correspondence, name it like that and put it in the folder. If it's a medical a pleading, it might be the pleading title and the filing date, name it appropriately, put it in the folder. But you can think about this when you think about classifying different types of documents as then applying a bunch of different if-then. So if it's a notice of hearing, then extract out all the relevant information necessary to calendar that hearing and either send that to a calendar clerk or if we have a good integration, calendar that automatically in their practice management system. So automating the intake of all the documents that come in, the daily correspondence, let's say, that come into a firm and the clerical to administrative workflows that get associated with getting that to the right place and taking action on them. Everything up until the analysis of the document, just all the clerical, administrative, organizational, we automate. How do the documents get into the app? We generally will integrate with all their different input streams. So for example, most firms are on Microsoft 365. So we use Microsoft's APIs to integrate directly with whatever mailboxes they're using. So they're still receiving them in the same place. And we are automatically ingesting them into the platform from, you know, through our integration with their systems. So there's an implementation with any of our firms that we implement. And then we're, we're SaaS that is an ongoing product. Their scanners, similarly, if they're scanning documents internally, we might give them an email address to scan to, or they might scan to a shared folder in their environment that we then pick up documents from. So all of it is seamlessly being ingested from all the ways in which they receive documents, processed in the cloud, and then they access the app through a user interface that can be accessed anywhere. We have an integration with their practice management system to get whatever information we need from that, the matter details, the responsible attorney for what matter, the responsible paralegal, all that you know information that's used to trigger these workflows 
And then also with whatever the document management system is, whether that's internal or whether it's a, an iManager, a NetDocs, or a, a separate DMS, we build all that integration at the outset. Let's go back to your Microsoft 365 example. So I've, I'm, an, I'm an attorney at a law firm. I'm getting hundreds of emails a day. Not all of them, and the vast majority probably aren't file related. They don't relate to any particular legal file. It could just be somebody asked me about lunch. Are you saying the app will actually take a look at everything that comes in and figures out what is germane to a legal case and what is not? So I should probably clarify, a lot of the email boxes we deal with, especially a lot of these firms, are centralized mailboxes that deal with like court notices and things like gotcha. that. That's, that's a big part of the volume. But to your use case, we wouldn't, uh, I mean, we could look at every document that comes in and, and probably figure out you know, which ones have matter details by the same way we do it. We don't do that. I don't think most lawyers yeah, we would, want that. would be receptive to say that. But what we do do for a lot of the law firms is either an attorney, we have a plug-in with Outlook so Push they can a select gotcha. a document and then it goes and send, send downstream and then it goes through or they can forward it to attachments, you know, an email address or drag it into a specific folder on their Outlook and then it just picks up and goes through so they can decide what they send through. Really what the use case is there, because a lot of times they might have something easy enough to put an email downstream. What their big issue is, is it's largely with these attachments. It's all these documents that come in and it could be in these types of practices, it could be medical reports or whatever. And so often they might, may, let's say they are pretty good about saving the email. What you end up with is you end up with a folder called emails and you end up with a bunch of emails in there. And then they're going through searching the emails and looking because the attachments end up just embedded in the email in there rather than in the medical folder with the medical records properly named as part of the medical index, which is what they need, they end up just in other places locked in emails. So our product, if they forward that email, would take that document, let's say, extract out all the attachments, take the email body and convert that to PDF, append that to the back of the attachment so they always know how it came in, and then index, let's say it's a medical record or a pleaded, whatever it is, index it into the appropriate folder that of what the actual attachment is, let's say, named for the attachment, with a copy of the email body. So it's like a proof of, you know, like a chain of custody of how that came into them. Let's talk about the tech then, because you mentioned, you mentioned a few different kinds of records there, correspondence, medical records, pleadings, notice of hearings. Let's talk about the tech. How does it differentiate between a medical record and a notice of a hearing? So that's the AI, right? So we've built and now trained on millions of documents, a number of different sort of machine learning, neural network based approaches to classify documents, and extract data from them. And we have, you know, a taxonomy, as we call it. We have one specified taxonomy built for California workers' compensation, which is where we really built our beachhead. And that's got such great, we got 200 plus categories of individualized documents that we can identify with a very high degree of accuracy in California work compensation. Now, for generally like legal documents, we've got about 50, you know, let's say 12 big category buckets and 50 subcategories of documents that are pretty consistent across litigation across, you know, all the states, you know, let's say various types of pleadings, motions, you know, various types of correspondence. And so the way it does this is it looks at the document, first it OCRs it to make it all machine readable, and then applies an ensemble of, of natural language processing models and approaches. And these are built off of models like Bert and Roberta, for those of your listeners who understand, you know, that understand some of this stuff, to essentially read the document like a person would and determine based on the content of the document what classification it falls into. And the important thing is our software 
is all intended to be deployed through a user interface for what we call human loop automation. So the idea is people always ask, well, how do you know it's accurate? And I think what makes intelligent document processing intelligent is every decision a software like ours makes, it has a prediction of, for example, what category this is, or, or if I'm extracting out the data service, what the data the extraction is that we're looking for, a prediction, and then also a confidence score associated with that prediction we know our accuracy metrics, our confidence scores, and things like that. And the reason that's important is because we have a whole user interface component where the idea is, isn't that this is a terminator that replaces any person doing this? It's that we used to have a number of people doing this. And now there might still be a clerk doing some of this work, but they're doing exception handling and validation. If the software's telling you it's less certain that it categorized it correctly, you're going to look at those are the documents the clerk's looking at instead of all of them. They're going to skip the 99s, and maybe look at the 70s, right? Exactly. And even more granular than that, it's not just a document because automation of these kinds of use cases isn't really a binary document or not. It might be that, hey, it's confident in what matter this is and what category it is, and it's confident that this is the data service and it's this type of medical report, but you know, is it this doctor or this doctor that's mentioned? So, And if you have decided as a customer that you want and customers can set competence thresholds at the field level in our system. So if you've decided that you want to be 99% confident that it's the right doctor before it goes downstream into the system, then you can set that then someone is reviewing that document and they're pointed to just the fact that they need to look at that doctor name. Whereas another client might not be as concerned with that. They might say, as long as it's the right matter in the right category, we just want that to push through. We don't care about the rest of it. And they would have a higher degree of throughput automation. And this is all configurable by client down to the field level and the doctor type level and all that. The whole software is configurable for our clients to match their workflows and their preferences and all these things. Going back to the tech, this is all text-based. You know, you mentioned, you know, in, your, in the prior incarnation of the company, well, not incarnation, but the healthcare company, they were able to interpret information from images too. Is foundation using any tech like that or is it complete 100%, you know, text-based AI? Yeah, so it's an ensemble and we still have to do a lot of image-based stuff. And examples are, you know, pleading documents. Pleading documents often, the filing date is in a stamp right. on the document. And we have to right. use certain models we've had to build to do that. Another big example is correspondence. Most letters, the actual sender is found in letterhead. So the letterhead, and you can't use standard OCR to look at letterhead and figure out, you know, oftentimes it's all convoluted stuff. So there are, in our tech stack and in what all goes into the workflow here, there are, is a combination of a lot of it. But for example, if we classify a document as a correspondence and we're tracking at a sender, we're actually applying multiple models. There's natural language processing model. There's image-based models that are looking at the headings to see whether we're tracking the sender there. Then the way these ensemble models work is they run comparisons against each other. And there's smarter people than me have figured out how to run the statistics against each other to figure out what the best outcome is on the back end and produce that with the confidence score associated. So in the actual pre-processing and processing and, and everything that goes under the hood to derive and arrive at the at what the ultimate insight is with the confidence score, there are image-based as well as text-based models. There's statistical models involved in some of the classification. But the other use case here that happens for insurance spends that I touched on earlier is, you know, we're talking about daily correspondence that comes in a lot that has to be indexed to the appropriate document. The other one is, those large documents that come in that have to be split up and categorized. So the difference here is this might be one big claim file that all belongs to one particular matter. So it's not about 
matching each individual document to the matter. But we've got a 2000 page PDF that actually is 800 different consolidated documents of various types in various order. And so for these firms, they usually have a lot of labor going into, you know, obviously an attorney isn't going to scroll through this massive thing with duplicates and all that, but go into this process of separating out these large consolidated PDFs into what they are, removing duplicates, and then either indexing them separately into folders or creating batches for attorney review, all the correspondence and chronological order, all the medicals. And so our software also uses AI to do a lot of that. And it's the similar workflow. It's going through OCRing it using natural language processing and using computer vision. But here there's this added component of unitization. So first unitizing and splitting all the documents up appropriately. And again, there's a, a user interface for all this to help streamline this process. And there's humans in the loop to confirm that. But then after they're split up, then it's the same concept of classifying each appropriately based on the classifying, extracting out whatever information is for that document type to create the index or organize it or or whatever. Oftentimes the worry, right, is that, well, how's AI right. going to know and so on. And the, and you you nailed one of the answers, which is the system is reading these documents like a person and that's how it knows it's not using the template-based approaches that everyone has seen fail over time. People talk about accuracy a lot as, the, as an important metric. And accuracy is important, but it's not actually the most important metric when it comes to throughput automation, which a lot of people don't realize. Like if you're talking about something that's going to have a human in the loop, a confidence score, which really is a balancing of these two other metrics, precision and recall for how many false positives and false negatives you have, is actually more important. What's the onboarding process like? If a law firm wants to engage and license the software, what's that entail? So right now we're primarily focused on firms that are doing litigation. And really, I think well, the first part is to talk with them, to explain how this works and to understand their workflow. The concept of our software is that law firms shouldn't have to change their behavior to use our software. So our software has to fit into their workflow, meaning the way they organize their documents, the way in which they are routing their documents and how they're handling it. And another thing is attorneys themselves never touch our software. I mean, in any of our installs, they get the outputs of it from their attorney's perspective. Wow. Now they're getting documents properly named twice as fast. And they're getting alerts that are telling when they receive documents and they're getting more granular data, but they're not actually using our, our system. They're getting the outputs. So first thing we have to do is, is map out their, their current workload in some extent. Now, the best customers and where we can drive the most value are customers that have a set folder structure that is consistent across all their matters. And many firms now do that. If you use an iManager or something, oftentimes you have, you know, the set built folder structure. And so once we understand their folder structure, then we have a document that is like our taxonomy. Here's all these different types of documents that we had. They map out like uh, as simple as on that sell sheet. If this didn't come in, what folder would you put it in? If this came in and we map that out, we let them map that out. So that's one side of it. And then also map out workflows. So if this document comes in, you know, who's alerted is paralegal as an attorney and map out all of that workflow that we're going to end up automating within the system. At the same time, there's the technical side of the implementation, which for law firms is pretty straightforward for most of them these days, because a lot of them are using more modern systems that have, you know, APIs and things like that. And so the two threads are the, the requirements gathering which might take end-to-end -end for deployment, requires it anywhere from, let's say, two days to, to a week, maybe, but pretty quick. And then the actual implementation, anywhere from three days from start to finish to go live, if they're on 
you know, a Clio or a cloud-based software that we, we have a deep integration partnership with, um, you know, could be a little longer if they're on another cloud-based software that we work with often, like Litify or, or Ameriscase or something. Um, and then if they're on like an older legacy system where we have to build a customized integration or one that doesn't have open APIs and we have to work with an integration partner or something, the implementation technical side could take a little longer. But we can usually tell a customer very early on based on what their technical infrastructure currently looks like, how long that side of it's going to take. And most times it doesn't require, we make it a point to not require much from the customer because that's always, right. you know, a, a tough sell. Like whether it's us bringing in an implementation partner to work on the integration component or us being able to do it, we can do most of it with a lot of the cloud-based systems. We handle most of that. So with a file bind or something like that. Excellent. Vivek, appreciate your time. If people want to learn more about you or get a hold of you, where do you want to send them? Email me anytime at Vivek, V-I-V-E-K-F-FoundationAI.com. Email me directly. You can visit us at, at FoundationAI.com or on our LinkedIn at FoundationAI. You know, happy to answer any questions anyone has. Just reach out to me. Uh, we're excited. And Chad, thanks so much for your time. It's been great to, to be here with you. And, you know, I could talk about this stuff for, <laughs> for hours. So if any of your listeners want to talk to me about it, you know, go ahead and, and reach out, please. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.